I was recently driving somewhere and I had my oldest son sitting in the passenger seat next to me. My oldest son, he is 13 years old and he is now as tall as me. I'm about six foot two and he's actually a little bit taller than me. And I, I looked over at my son as we were driving somewhere and it just totally struck me as I'm looking at this, basically this young man sitting in the seat next to me and thinking, how is it possible that you went in such a short period of time, 13 years is not very long, such a short period of time of being this tiny little baby. I remember just the first time looking at him and him, his little tiny hand holding my finger, like my, my two fingers were like as big as his little tiny hand at that time. And now I look over and he is six foot two and he's like, he looks like a man. It's a scary thing. Time, I think you would agree, Time is interesting, and it is amazing how quickly time can go by. We mark time, especially here in Western culture in the United States. We mark time in such a huge way, and we are constantly being led by, you know, we have a watch, we follow a certain schedule. Maybe you have a certain schedule that you follow, like kind of week to week. You know what's going to happen from week to week, and we keep that schedule pretty seriously in our culture. now. I've traveled to some other cultures where wristwatches are not that big of a deal and people don't seem to mark time in the same way that we do here in the West, but we keep very, you know, close watch on time. Time and the markers of time are really core to who we are and how we live. Not, not just here in Western culture, but as human beings. The opening words of the Bible highlight the importance of time for us. When we read these words in the opening words of the Bible, in the beginning, God was the creator of the heavens and the earth. And we see that concept, that idea of the beginning, in the beginning, there in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And a few short verses after that, and really just a few short days later in the creation story, if you've ever read Genesis chapter one, you know that we have presented there the six days of creation. And so just a few short verses and four days of creation after in the beginning, God was the creator of the heavens and the earth. We read these words in Genesis chapter one, beginning at verse 14, the scriptures say, then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. And then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And he made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And so the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Like I said, we mark time. We keep track of time with day and night and night and day and week and so forth. And so we have days and we have nights and we, have, we count weeks and months and seasons and years. And going back to the very beginning of human civilization and human history as it is recorded, we have kept track of our times and our seasons. Moses, the great lawgiver of Israel, and we've been going through Deuteronomy together here at Cross Connection Church, and Moses is really the speaker of Deuteronomy. Moses, not only the speaker and writer of the first five books of the Bible, he's also considered to be the author of Psalm 
90. And in Psalm 90, Moses talks about the days of our lives. And he, he writes this in Psalm 90, verse 10. He says, the days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years. Then a couple verses later in verse 12, he says, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I'm sure you recognize there is a number to your days. There is a number to our days. And the scriptures tell us that God knows how many days that there will be for my life and for yours in Psalm 139. And Moses tells us there in Psalm 90, those words that I just read in Psalm 90 verses 10 and 11, that we need to keep track of our time and it's wisdom to recognize the number of our days. Do you remember when you were younger, like say my 13-year-old son or my nine-year-old son? At the time when you were younger, time seemed like it went by so slow. And when I was younger, I remember looking off into the, the future to some season or a specific time. And it always seemed like it was taking forever to arrive, especially when you were thinking about things like your birthday or you were looking forward to Christmas, or perhaps the season that you were looking forward to was summer. Currently, my kids, especially my youngest, they are like counting days until summer. And it's actually not too far away. In fact, I was taking my kids to school today. I was waiting for school to start with my youngest son, and he was even asking me about the whole thing of like, when is summer coming? So, you know, looking forward to it coming. And time seems to go so slow when you're younger. And, and then when you are a kid, you're, you're looking forward to certain events in your life. You're looking forward to becoming a teenager at 13, or you are looking forward to when you are considered an adult at 18 or perhaps 21. And it, it seems so far away and it seems like it takes forever to get there. But now, looking back to 21, for me, it seems like so long ago. In fact, now 21 is 21 years ago for me. and so. Time, it seems so long ago, and yet in retrospect, it, it went by so incredibly fast. And that's one of the frightening things about time. Time goes by pretty quickly, especially as you get older. The days and the weeks, they fly by. The months and the seasons, they, they quickly just move from one to the next. And in the midst of the ticking by of time, God who created the world in this way, where time is a reality, God who made this world, he commanded that throughout the year, because it goes so quick and it can go by so quickly, he commanded that throughout the year, his people, that they would pause and that they would mark time with a Sabbath, a rest, a break, a, a breath, if you will, a moment to just kind of stop and breathe in the passing of time to rest and to remember and to reflect and hopefully to rejoice as you are reflecting. These pauses for the people to remember and to reflect and to rejoice, they, they were for the people of God, and actually they are, they were, they were holy. That is that they were, they were set apart, they were consecrated. That's what the word holy means, to be set apart and consecrated. So these were holy days. And in addition to these holy days that they would take time to rest and reflect and remember and rejoice, they would also have one day in seven called the Sabbath, where they would set that apart to the Lord to just pause and breathe. And the Sabbath and these holidays, and that's what holiday is, a holy day, they were to be a pause, a pause from work, from all the other pressing things of life to stop and to rest and to rejoice. 
Interesting because the Hebrew word in Genesis chapter 1, verse 14 that we read just a moment ago, the word that is translated seasons, where we read there were times and seasons, that word seasons is the very same Hebrew word used when God commanded Israel to rest and to reflect on holy days in the book of Leviticus chapter 23. There, it's not, it's not translated seasons, it's translated feasts. And there in Leviticus chapter 23 is where God ordained that his people, the children of Israel, that they would annually gather together as one people in one place for a time of rest and remembrance and reflection and also rejoicing. And we read about it in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 1, we read these words. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, the feasts of the Lord. That word feasts there is the Hebrew word moed, which is the same word that is translated seasons in Genesis 1 verse 14. The feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. These are my feasts. There's that word again. Six days shall your work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath, solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. These are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. The law of God, books like Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, makes very, very clear that God has set appointed times for us to rejoice in his goodness and his blessing. And one day in seven, the Sabbath, was an appointed time every single seventh day, every single week where the children of Israel were to rejoice in God's blessing and his goodness, and they were to rest. But also throughout the year, as you read in Leviticus chapter 23, there were specific times throughout the year where the entire nation of Israel would gather together as one people in one place. And these appointed times were for the children of Israel to rejoice in God, and to just remember his goodness and his blessing. For Israel, 3,400 years ago, God ordained through Moses that these times would be set throughout the year, three times throughout the year. They were holy convocations, gatherings, that the people would come together. And they would celebrate at those three different times a year, these three different seasons, they would celebrate seven different feasts. So when we read in Leviticus 23, these are the feasts of the Lord, Leviticus 23 is going to outline what these seven different feasts were at these three different times of the year. Now, I hope I'm not confusing you. Just kind of follow along a little bit. And I'll try and explain all of this. So three times a year, the children of Israel would gather together as one people in one place, the place that God would ordain in the promised land. Ultimately, that would be in the city of Jerusalem, coming to the temple that would be there in Jerusalem. So three times a year, all the people would come from all over the nation of Israel. They would come up to Jerusalem, ultimately, and they would celebrate seven different feasts. The first would be at the time of the early spring, right about this time of the year. And at that time, it was the time of the barley harvest in the nation of Israel. They were farmers, predominantly. And so the season for cultivating and farming barley would lead up to this point, early spring, and then they would bring in the harvest of the barley, and they would go up to Jerusalem to celebrate three feasts. The Feast of Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of First Fruits. That was the, the first season that they would gather together for a time of gathering to remember and rejoice in God's goodness and his blessing. So Feast of Passover, Unleavened Bread, and First Fruits in the early spring. So then the second time that they would gather together after the first three feasts, when they'd come together for Passover, Unleavened Bread, and First Fruits, the second time would happen seven weeks after the time of Passover. 
So 49 days after the Feast of First Fruits, they would come up a second time to come up to Jerusalem during the time of the wheat harvest. And this would be in the late spring, early summer, and they would celebrate the next of the gathering together times, which was the Feast of Weeks or the feast called Shavuot or what we know of as Pentecost today. And then the third time that the children of Israel would gather together as a holy day, a holy convocation, a holiday to celebrate and rejoice in all that God had done would come at the fall at the time of the harvest of the grapes or the harvest of the vine. And during this fall time, they would have three more feasts. What we know of as Rosh Hashanah or the Feast of Trumpets, Yom Kippur or the, the Feast of Atonement and Sukkot, the Feast of Booths. And so they would gather together for the Feast of Booths or Feast of Tabernacles as well. And this would come in the fall. And these gatherings, they were meant to be a great time of rejoicing for the children of Israel. As I said, a time of rest, remembrance, and rejoicing and reflection in all that God had done. And we have talked about the, these things a little bit previously in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, just in the last several weeks when I talked about bringing in of the tithe or the first 10% of all of the increase of your harvest to the Lord. And so those tithes would be brought to the Lord at Jerusalem during the, these three seasons of the year. So at the end of the barley feast, they would bring their 10th part, their tithe to the Lord in Jerusalem, and they would celebrate Passover. And then seven weeks later, they would go back up at the time of the harvest of the wheat, and they'd bring their tithe to the Lord for Pentecost. And then they'd wait several months and they'd come back in the fall, and then they'd bring their tithe from their harvest when they were harvesting their vines and so forth. And they would celebrate the Feast of Trumpets, trumpets and the Feast of Tabernacles and all of that. So these were the times that the children of Israel would bring all this stuff to the Lord and they would worship him there in Jerusalem. And these celebrations, these times of rejoicing, they were a Sabbath, a rest for the people. They had just worked a whole bunch uh, laboring in their land, bringing in the harvest, which is incredibly hard work. And then after they would bring in the harvest, they would take some time to rest and they would take some time to reflect on the Lord and remember all that God had done for them in the past and all that God was going to do in the future and rejoice in all that he had done just right then. Now, why am I sharing all this? Well, I'm sharing all this for several reasons. First, I'm sharing this because today we, we really are in Deuteronomy chapter 16 and our study through the book of Deuteronomy, even though we're going to be putting our study in Deuteronomy on pause for the next many weeks. But we're in Deuteronomy chapter 16. And in Deuteronomy chapter 16, Moses is reminding the children of Israel of their commitment to observe these feasts, the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Tabernacles and Trumpets and all these different things three different times a year. So Deuteronomy chapter 16 talks about these feasts that the children of Israel would observe. Deuteronomy chapter 16 verses 1 through 8, Moses commands them to observe the early spring feasts at Passover. Deuteronomy chapter 16 verses 9 through 12, he tells them to observe the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. And then Deuteronomy chapter 16 verses 13 through 17, he calls them to observe the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot. So all of these things are happening in this passage. Now, it's important to recognize that Israel had not observed these feasts the entire time that they had been wandering in the wilderness from the time of Exodus through to the time of Deuteronomy. So for about 38 years, the children of Israel have not observed these feasts. But now as they are preparing to come into the promised land, Moses is reminding them 
here in Deuteronomy chapter 16, that when you come into the land, you are to observe these feasts. So the first reason that I'm sharing all this about these different feasts, three times a year, seven different feasts, the first reason that I'm sharing about this is because this is the text that we are in. Second, though, I'm sharing this because this coming week, here we are, Palm Sunday, if you're watching this on Palm Sunday when it is broadcasting, this Sunday and this week, we are coming into the time of Passover. In fact, Friday marks the beginning of Passover. So the first of the seven feasts, Passover, is this very week. And I didn't plan it like this. It just happens that we are in Deuteronomy 16 and it talks about the Feast of the Lord. And this week is the time of Passover. So that's the second reason that I'm talking about this because this week is Passover. But the third reason that I'm bringing this up is actually a more important reason. I'm talking about all of this for us living at this time who are not observant Jews who follow Passover, but who are believing Christians. You see, just as the children of Israel had important holy days of rest and remembrance and reflection and rejoicing, we who are Christians, we have holy days, we have holidays to celebrate what God has done in the past, what God is doing right now, and what God will do in the future. And today marks the beginning of what is for Christians, and I would suggest ultimately for all people all throughout the world as well, but especially for Christians, this marks the most important season or week that there is in the annual calendar for Christians. The most important season for rest and remembrance, reflection, and rejoicing. Because as I shared at the very beginning of the service broadcast today, today is Palm Sunday. And this is the beginning of what we refer to as Passion Week. And just as Israel had appointed times for rejoicing in God's goodness and blessing, the Passion Week is our appointed time to rejoice in the greatness of our God and his goodness for Christians. So as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, this is an appointed time in our annual calendar. And time goes by so quickly, but these, these moments where we pause and reflect, they're, they're intentionally given to us, I believe by God, to, to slow things down for a moment and to remember and to focus on the great things that God has done, to rejoice in his greatness and his goodness towards us. And I have to say, as I look at my life, I am so grateful for God's greatness and his goodness. He is constantly good to me. And so this is a really important period of time for us as a church and as a people, the people of God, to set aside some time to rejoice in the greatness and goodness of God. When Israel would gather in times past and will gather this very week to celebrate the Feast of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of first fruits they were remembering and rejoicing in their redemption from the, the bondage that they were in and their slavery in Egypt. So it wasn't only a time of rejoicing in the present harvest that they had just brought in because at the time of Passover, they were just coming out of the barley harvest and they would go up to Jerusalem to bring their tithes and rejoice in all that God had done. But it wasn't only rejoicing in what God had just done through the harvest, but it was what God had done when he brought them out of the land of Egypt as they were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. They were remembering their past redemption. We read this in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse one. Moses says, observe the month of Aviv and keep the Passover to the Lord your God. For in the month of Aviv, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. 
Therefore, you shall sacrifice the Passover to the Lord your God from the flock and the herd in the place where the Lord chooses to put his name. You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread with it. That is the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt quickly in haste that you may remember the day in which you came out of the land of Egypt all the days of your life. So when the Jewish people in Israel, in the United States and throughout the world, wherever there are Jewish people right now, when they are celebrating this week, the Feast of Passover, they are celebrating their exodus from the land of Egypt 3,400 years ago. They had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years and Moses, by God's power, brings them out of the land of Egypt. They're celebrating that at Passover. Christians throughout the world this week at the very same period of time, during the same season, they have a celebration that they are observing as well that has very clear connections to Passover. Doesn't celebrate the exact same thing though, but it does have connections as we will see. We Christians are not remembering our redemption from Egypt. We are remembering and celebrating a much greater redemption. In fact, what you discover as you study the feasts of the Lord, which Israel observed and continues to observe today is that all of the feasts of the Lord, Passover, the Feast of Tabernacles, Yom Kippur, Feast of Pentecost, all of that looks forward to Christ and what he came and accomplished and what he has done. The feasts remember what God had done in the past, but they look forward to what he would do in the future. And I'm not gonna do a deep dive today on all that took place in the celebration of the Passover, all the different intricacies of the Seder feast, if you will, the Passover feast. I'm not gonna do a deep dive on unleavened bread and first fruits, but as a simple overview, I think it's important to remember what this is all about or what it was originally grounded in. As I said, the children of Israel, they lived in Egypt for some 400 years and much of that time they lived as slaves in bondage in Egypt until God heard their cry and God sent Moses as a deliverer to go down to Pharaoh. You can read about it in the opening chapters of the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible. God sends Moses to go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Now, of course, Pharaoh, he refused to honor Moses's request. And so God brought a series of plagues on Egypt, 10 plagues in all culminating in that very last 10th plague, which was that there was gonna be a destroyer, some spiritual being that was gonna go through the land of Egypt and every firstborn son in Egypt would die. Now, it's actually worth reading the whole story around this event, this 10th plague and this destroyer coming in. It's found in Exodus chapter 12. I'm gonna read a large section of verses there in Exodus chapter 12. Follow along with me. It says this in Exodus 12 verse one. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt saying, this month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel saying, on the 10th of this month, the 10th day of this first month, every man shall take for himself a lamb. Note that 10th day. They shall all take a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor to his house take it according to the number of persons, according to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from your goats. Now you shall keep it from the 10th day until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly, the whole congregation of the nation of the congregation of Israel shall kill the lamb or the goat at twilight. 
And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of their houses where they eat this Passover meal. And then they shall eat the flesh uh, on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning. And what remains until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it, eating this lamb with your belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, so you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, the night of Passover, the 14th night of the, that month, and strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the house where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over. That's where we get that idea of Passover. I will pass over you and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. So this event that Moses describes here to the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 12, this event was to be an everlasting ordinance in Israel, something that they were to observe every single year. They were to remember annually what God had done in bringing them out of Egypt, that God by his grace and by his power, he redeemed them from their bondage in Egypt, which means the anniversary of Israel's exodus from Egypt is this next Friday and Saturday. As they, Jewish people, are celebrating Passover, they are doing what, they are remembering what happened 3,400 years ago. They partook of the Passover meal on that Passover night, which is celebrated this coming Friday, and then they left quickly from the land of Egypt. And having not enough time to leaven their bread, they only had unleavened bread. That's why Passover goes right in the very next day into the Feast of Unleavened Bread the following day. And so we have this celebration of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is next Saturday. So Friday's Passover, Saturday's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then they woke up the day after that experiencing the first morning as free people. They had been in bondage for four centuries and that third day after the uh, Passover meal was partaken of, they were celebrating their first day as free people. And the children of Israel, they will be celebrating the Feast of First Fruits. So it goes Passover, the next day is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the next day is the Feast of First Fruits. And Israel has been continuously celebrating these things for about the last 3,400 years. But what does that have to do with, with me? I'm not Jewish, maybe you're not Jewish, I'm a Christian. What does it have to do with us? It, because we don't follow these things. Well, Passover wasn't only meant to look back to Israel's redemption from bondage in Egypt. The lamb of Passover was a foreshadowing of the coming lamb of God. And this becomes completely clear when you come to the first chapter of the Gospel of John, where we are introduced to Jesus by John the Baptist. And in John 1.29, when when John the Baptist is proclaiming, this is the one, this is Jesus, it, it says this, that John the Baptist, he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God has a direct connection to the Passover. And so there John the Baptist looks at Jesus and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In the Passover lamb was a remembrance of Israel's redemption from bondage in Egypt, but also 
and the Passover lamb was a looking forward to our redemption from not the bondage in Egypt, but the bondage to sin and death. It's looking forward to our redemption from the bondage to sin. And in the same way as we read in Exodus 12, that the Passover lamb would be selected, remember I said on the 10th day of the month, in Exodus chapter 12, I believe at verse 3, and then it would be inspected by the priest to make sure that it was without spot or blemish for the next few days until the 14th day of the month when it would be sacrificed. On the 10th day of the month of Nisan or Aviv, the month when the Passover would happen, that is the very same day, 2,000 years ago, that Jesus came into Jerusalem and he was selected by his people on what we know of today as Palm Sunday. This day, which we're celebrating today, Palm Sunday, this is the day when Jesus came into Jerusalem on the 10th day of the month. And on that day was the selection day of the Lamb. And this is how the story goes in the Gospel of John. We read about it in John chapter 12, verse 12. It says, The next day a great multitude that had come to the feast, the feast of Passover, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and they went to meet him and they cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. When they cried out there in that passage, Hosanna, they were saying, that word Hosanna means save now. So they're, they're looking at Jesus, come the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They're looking at him and they're saying, save now, rescue us. And, and what was it that Jesus came to save his people from? Well, when Jesus was born, Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 says that his name was called Jesus because he was going to save his people from their sins. He's not saving them from a physical bondage as slaves in Egypt. He's saving us from a spiritual bondage to sin and death. And Jesus came into Jerusalem on what we know of as Palm Sunday, the 10th day of the month of Nisan, the day when they would select the lamb for the Passover meal. And then he, after he was selected as the lamb, then he was inspected for the next several days by the religious leaders of Israel. You can read about that in the gospel, especially the gospel of Matthew in chapters 22 and 23. Jesus is questioned by all the different religious leaders, by the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians. They're all questioning him. They're trying to see if there's any blemish in him because he's the lamb that is selected. And then they're looking to see, is he holy? And then on the 14th day of the month at sunset, when all the people in Jerusalem, all the pilgrims that would come up for Passover, they would all gather together in their various places to partake of the Passover meal. And Jesus partook of the Passover with his disciples. And we read this in the Gospel of Luke about that time in chapter 22, verse 14. And when the hour had come, Jesus sat down with the 12 apostles with him. And then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Everything of the Passover that Israel had observed for nearly 1400 years from the first Passover in Egypt in Exodus until the time that Christ came. It all looked forward to this very moment when Jesus sat in an upper room with his followers there in Jerusalem and he says to his disciples, his 12 apostles, he says, I have looked forward to this Passover with great desire. Not just that year, I think for Many centuries, the eternal Christ had been looking forward to that moment where he was going to partake of that Passover meal because the whole of the Passover feast had been anticipating and looking forward to this ultimate fulfillment of the Passover lamb in Jesus Christ. And there he was 
as he partakes of the Passover with his disciple, his, his followers, and he does something extraordinary. He does something amazing. He does something out of the ordinary from what would normally happen in a Passover meal. If anything, the Passover meal was one of the most well-known and followed, followed traditions among the people of Israel, especially by the time of Christ, after 1400 years of observing it. But Jesus, as he was with his disciples on that night, partaking of the Passover that he had been looking forward to for a very long time, he breaks with tradition as he partakes of the Passover with his disciples. And at a certain point in the Passover meal with his disciples, Jesus is there in the upper room in Jerusalem. We are told this in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. And as they were eating the Passover meal, Jesus took bread, blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. This is so important and so key. There is Jesus, picture this. He is with his disciples in an upper room in Jerusalem after a few days before this coming into Jerusalem on what we know of as Palm Sunday and people announcing he is the king of Israel. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they were saying, save us now, Hosanna. And now he's partaking of the Passover meal with his disciples and he breaks tradition and he takes bread and he breaks it and gives it to them. He says, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then he takes the cup and he blesses it and he gives it to them. He says, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant. I want you to drink it. And he's doing all of this because the ultimate focus of Passover is its fulfillment in Christ. The ultimate focus of Passover was not what happened centuries before in Egypt, although that was really important and really good. And it is what brought the children of Israel out of Egypt and ultimately into the promised land. But all of that was looking forward to Jesus because Jesus is the pure and spotless lamb the one without any blemish. He is the perfect lamb of God. Just as John the Baptist said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is accomplishing here as he's with his disciples or preparing to accomplish the very next day after this Passover, which would be Good Friday about 2000 years ago. He is fulfilling exactly what the prophet Isaiah foresaw 700 years before the time that Jesus did this in Isaiah 53. Let me, let me read this beautiful passage. This was written 700 years before Jesus came by the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 53, verse three, it says, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, the lamb of God taken to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from the prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generations? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. 
When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. This day, this Sunday, Palm Sunday, the, the day of the selection of the Lamb 2,000 years ago, this is the day when we remember and reflect upon what Jesus did to redeem us from sin and death and to give us rest from all of our labors. Jesus is the one in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, who said, Come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And today, Palm Sunday, we're remembering what Jesus did to redeem us and to give us rest. This is a day and a week, this Passion Week. This is a time for great rejoicing, even though it's a somber time because we remember, as we'll remember when we gather together on Good Friday this week, we'll remember Jesus' death on the cross, which is horrific. And though it is a somber day, it is a time of great rejoicing because Jesus is the Lamb of God who came and died to save us from our sins. This is such important good news. This is what the, the church has been focused on for the last 2,000 years because the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, which we are celebrating this week, these are the most important events in all of human history and they are core to the Christian faith. And because they are so important, we are going to remember our Lord today by partaking of communion. Just as he taught us to do during this week, 2,000 years ago, Jesus came into Jerusalem on that Sunday, that Palm Sunday, the day of the selection of the lamb. And four days later, he gathered with his disciples and he partook of that lamb as he partook of that Passover that he had eagerly desired and waited for. And there he partook of the bread and the cup with his disciples. And just as Jesus taught us to do, we're going to partake of this together today. I hope that you have the elements of communion. If you don't, maybe you could do this another time with your family. You could cue this video up at another time in the future, or you could just do it by yourself without me carrying you through this. But I want to read from the scriptures out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul speaks about this event. He says this, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And I have this little piece of bread here. And this bread, when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now at Cross Connection Church, we do not believe that this is God's actual, that this is Christ's actual physical body, but this represents his body. It is how we remember what he did for us. That 2000 years ago, the Lamb of God came to this world and he died in my place offering his body in the place of mine on the cross so that through his body that was broken, he could rescue and save and redeem me from sin. And so Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me in Luke's gospel, chapter 22. And so if you have bread today, let's, let's partake and we'll remember our Lord who gave his body for us as the lamb who was slain to take away our sin. Paul continues in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and he says in the same manner in verse 25, in the same manner, Jesus also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus' blood was shed for us. The scriptures say in Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or removal of sins. 
but Jesus, the pure and spotless lamb, his blood was shed. He gave his body up for you and I, for our sins to be purged and paid for. And so we do this in remembrance of him as often as we do it, remembering his blood that was poured out for us. If you have juice, drink with me. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. I thank you for this moment in time this week. With all the busyness, as time just flies by, one week flies into the next, one month into the next, one season into the next, one year into the next, and then it's 10 and 20 years, it just flies by. Lord, I th I'm so thankful that in the midst of all the time going by so quickly, you give us these markers, a Sabbath each week, a few times a year where we pause to reflect and remember and to rejoice in what you've done and who you are. And this week, we, we pause to remember your greatness, to rejoice in your goodness, and to give thanks to you for the salvation that we have. Lord, you came into Jerusalem, you wept over the city. And then several days later, you bled over the city. Lord, you gave your body to be broken, your blood to be shed so that we could have life so that we could be redeemed, not from a physical enemy in this world, but from the spiritual oppression of sin and death. And Lord, we thank you. We give praise to you. Lord, I thank you that we have this time this week to remember your body that was broken, your blood that was shed, to remember your crucifixion, but even greater than that, to remember your resurrection as we will next Sunday. Lord, we rejoice and we look forward to the joy of the resurrection. And not just the resurrection that we celebrate that you have brought about in the past, but the resurrection that you are doing right now as you bring new life to people who have been or had been dead in sin. You continue to raise people to newness of life and you've promised in the future to raise us unto eternal life. And so God, we look forward to that. And just as that passage said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we do proclaim your death until you come again. We believe you will come again because you're not dead. You're alive. As we rejoice in you, we remember that today. In Jesus' name, amen.